up everyone welcome back to another episode of espn's ball in the real world podcast i'm your host kane Pittman, alongside an nbl champion and now a champion broadcaster as well as usual peter hawley is alongside me no steve smith today unfortunately he isn't able to join us but we've still got plenty to talk about of course when pete's here we're talking nbl before we get to that i should uh, remind everyone to jump to espn.com.au you can find all the latest news whether it's nbl nba wnbl everything in between there and of course make sure you're watching the jump on espn friday nights with gaze and copeland and of course nat edwards there as well controlling everyone on the desk so if you haven't watched the jump yet make sure you do that i can say we have got a special guest this week dyson daniels is going to be at the desk which is going to be uh, a bit of good fun there so make sure you check that out but pete we're talking nbl today we're recording this Wednesday afternoon, and we have some news. Mm. You never, you never ever time a podcast correctly. It, it never happens. You always record the podcast, and then the news comes out. Fortunately, we have the news today, and your old mob, everyone's been wondering, is Melbourne United going to fill another spot on the roster? They're going to do it. Who's coming to town, Pete? Who are United signing? Well, it's, it's a big one, isn't it? Fan favourite from last year. Key piece uh, in their title run in the Japanese sensation, Yudai Baba. So this is this is big for Melbourne United, I think. I mean, they're already the toughest defensive team in the league, but it's just going to give you more energy now. He's a great person to be around the club. He was great last season for them. Can also bring that offensive spark. And as we've seen just a couple of times this season when there's a lull, he's going to be able to come in and have that impact. So... I know when Calum Dalton went down with the ACL, I'm sure they were starting to think, okay, what can we do? Do we pull the trigger or something? And then all the rumours about what's happening out west with how tight the top three is and how well Sydney's playing. And it was probably a no-brainer that they thought, hang on, well, if we can manage to get this great character, this great player, then let's pull the trigger. And that's what it looks like it's going to be. I think the character point is the big one here because I've been writing about it for the last month that no matter what Melbourne says, I'm not buying that they're not bringing in another player. But I do think with the way that they play, the chemistry that they do have, they weren't just going to bring in anyone and they weren't going to bring in an unknown prospect, an unknown player into this mix. But they just continue to fill the roster out. And I mean this in the absolute most respectful way, but with players that they know will play a role. And this is exactly what Udai Baba did last year. Uh, often t- I mean, he was always coming off the bench, but oftentimes Dean would trust him in the closing lineups because of what he can do on the defensive end. And look, I think Caleb Bagata has had his moments this season, but I think perhaps even more recently, we've seen very visibly some frustration from Dean. He's been very, very quick to take him to the bench uh, if there's been defensive breakdowns or defensive lapses there for this team that we know is so disciplined and by far the best defensive team in the league. I was looking earlier today uh, they're giving up 99 points per 100 possessions. I think Tasmania is the next best team, and they're around 103.8. So it's not close. I mean, they are by far the best defensive team in the league, and I think it's fair to say they just got stronger. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, if anybody watched Euro Bubba last year, what he brought on the defensive end, and you think about, okay, say there's a certain possession, and we're, we're talking about whether it's Bryce Cotton, whether it's Jalen Adams for the Kings in, in a final series to be able to throw numerous different looks at a superstar on the other team. So Bryce, whether it's Jalen Adams, you're going to start with Delhi, then you're going to have Shaili have a crack, then you're going to have Udo Baba, Caleb Agata is a bigger guard. There's just all these different ways they can try and attack these elite 
offensive weapons on the other side. And even still, say Chris Golding is in foul trouble or gets fouled out. Uh, we saw him leave early at the start of the game on the weekend with a little bit of hamstring tightness, still managed to play out the game. But all of a sudden you think of a lineup like a Delhi, Shayla, Udai Baba as those three <laughs> running around. You just don't know where how teams can score. I think it's going to be awesome. It's you're right, though. It's the perfect piece they need. And anyone who knows what Dean Dickman's created at Melbourne United, they, you're right. They're not going to go and get that unknown person who might disrupt the flow, who might be unhappy with what role they're going to play. I'm sure they've had that conversation with Udo Baba entering the season so late. It's going to take a while. Or he might play some games here. He might not play as much the next ones. And I think he'd just be happy to be back. He loves his time in Melbourne, from what I heard. He's a great person. So this is a really good pickup. Yeah, fan favourite, no doubt. Before we move on from Melbourne, we're going to get to Perth and Sydney, which, as we look ahead, is without doubt the game of the round this Mm. weekend. It's going to be absolutely incredible. Every Wednesday, for those that don't know, and you can check it out at ESPN.com.au, me, Pete, and Josh Gallup, our WA correspondent at ESPN, uh, just throw through a few opinions out there. We ask a few questions, and one of the questions we asked in today's piece that is dropping just as we're recording this uh, who is going to win best defensive player? Now, you went for a player from Melbourne, which you can reveal in a second. My argument with Melbourne United is I don't know how you pick one player. So I actually don't know. my. If I had to guess right now, I would say probably Xavier Cooks. But when you have such a dominant defensive team, it feels like it should be a Melbourne player. But is it Daly? Is it Shaili? Is it Jack White? Is it Joe Lalachula? I think probably not JLA, but certainly the other three in the jobs they've done on the perimeter, you could make a case for any of those guys. No, you're exactly right. And I've done that in what I'm trying to keep tabs on the awards throughout the whole season. I think it, it has to come. You're right. It has to come from someone on Melbourne United with the way they've been playing. But you think about how the awards are voted for and you might have a couple of captains, coaches who are thinking, I can't do, I can't split them. I can't split between between those three. And Joe yeah. Lalachula probably, but is leading the league in blocks. So I know we don't look mm. too much into that when it comes to uh, defensive player, the best defensive player. But yeah, I went with Delhi just for the sake of now, he's the head of the snake. He starts it all and all the little things he does has really contributed. And I'm sure that would have been a lot in preseason, him setting the tone for my, when I spoke to Melbourne United at the start of the season, they said that first week of training, Delhi and Shaylu just went at it, like full court, <laughs> getting up and in. And apparently it was one of the most competitive things anyone's seen. So Delhi sets the tone on every, he jumps in front of the ball, takes charges. He doesn't care if he gets dunked on, he's put his body on the line. He's going to get in the lane, do all those little things, steal the ball every now and then, but it's just all those little intangibles, those one percenters that I think gets in the nod for mine. And that Xavier Cooks is a, a close, I guess, second, because you've got to pull three of them and Jack White into one bracket. shaley has been enormous and always has been. So again, I try and think of, okay, would Shaley have had this impact all season long without Delhi as someone who can take a bit of the pressure off? Most likely, I think Shay can do that. Jack White, who knows? I think Delhi's the one who sets the tone. So when it comes down to it, I believe he should get that nod. Reasonable. And I can say Josh also went for Daly with his pick there. So a popular pick there. Daly, he's uh, probably, along with his whole career, box score not showing the impact mm. that he's having on that team. Melbourne, obviously, on the top of the standings. And speaking of the standings, we'll move to Perth and Sydney now. And top two is still up for grabs. And this game will be a key piece of this. We understand Perth are going to be home now for the last eight games. They tipped off this long run with a win uh, over New Zealand. But if you look at the standings right now, and, and I always look at the loss column. It's the easiest way to see where these teams stand. 
Melbourne with uh, five losses, Perth with six losses, Sydney with seven. So there's you know a game basically between them all as we get to the to the run home here. Xavier Cooks might not be a part of this trip, and if there's any doubt, I, I just don't see that they're going to fly him over to Perth. So how do you see this game playing out? And do you agree with me that if Xavier Cooks isn't there, I, I can't bring myself to tip the Sydney Kings? Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. Xavier Cooks, and if anybody watched the game uh, on the weekend, Sydney versus uh, the Phoenix, there was a bit of a lull in the game. Something happened. It was, it was all quiet. And Chase Buford on the coach's mic turned around his bench and said, God, I miss X, talking about <laughs> Xavier Cook. And, that, I mean, he I really think Jalen Adams is a stud, and I love what he does. Jalen Adams a stud. I think Xavier Cooks holds the key for their championship aspirations. He, he's enormous on the defensive end, and he's someone that can absolutely dominate a game, take over a game, win a game, without you really having to throw the ball to him once and say, go get a bucket. He's just that kind of player. He's gone... Another leap forward this year in his career. Uh, I cannot wait to see where his future ends up. But if he's not there, look, Vic Law has started to turn on the Jets once again. <laughs> he had a little bit of a lull patch, which wasn't really a lull patch, but Bryce Cotton was doing his thing, and now he's picked it back up, and he's been a superstar. So I don't really think they have someone who can really try and quieten uh, Vic Law down as well as Bryce Cotton. So if he's not there, it's going to change the way they play. Sydney 2-0 and zero against... Perth so far this season and just that individual matchup that you speak of Pete uh, Vic Law in those two games averaging 17 points and six rebounds which is well down on what he's getting you for the season and Xavier Cooks has actually been around the same around 16 points and nine rebounds so I, I don't really know who gets the, the matchup there directly if Xavier Cooks isn't there but we'll see on Saturday night but it's interesting and this has been another roster spot that we've been keeping an eye on for the last couple of months really as Michael Frazier just hasn't been able to get it going and uh, I spoke to Bryce Cotton last week. The week before that, I spoke to Danny Mills. They were all very complimentary of what Michael Fraser can do, what he's done in the past. But the reality is it just has not worked out with the Perth Wildcats. And it seemingly was getting worse. I mean, his production was basically zero over the last few weeks of the season. So there was no reason why they wouldn't try and add to this roster. Now, it hasn't been made official yet. Obviously, all the rumors have been John Brown, who uh, has been playing in Russia. He was one of the players that decided to leave. Russia and didn't have a team, which at this time of year, it can be difficult to sign players. That has opened up a few players that say uh, American imports in particular that could come out here. But the interesting thing about the John Brown signing is that everyone's been talking about the fact that uh, would Perth go and get a center, get a genuine big man. John Brown, 6'8", will play the four, four, could probably slide to the five, very athletic and an extremely strong defensive player. But to me, this is the second team this season that we've seen lean into going small. And remember, we had this conversation last time we were on the podcast. And uh, this isn't, I'm not, uh, I don't necessarily think that you were wrong in, in your thinking of this. But when we were talking about Sydney, would they go big? Would they go small? I tended to think that the league is trending small. You thought maybe that they could use a, a bigger player. But this is interesting that the second contending team has chosen to go with a, a smaller four or five defensive versatile player. Well, it's you. The, the defensive-minded and his strength, I think, is what's going to make it such a massive piece for them. I was thinking he would go towards the tall. That, at the time, that was when Joe Chi, you're looking at mm -hmm. what he was doing Phoenix at the time, and even Joe Loyal-Chul. Now, if he does slide to the five and goes against Joe Loyal-Chul, his strength is going to outmatch yeah. Loyal-Chul. So there's, they'll be able to have the success there. Joe Loyal-Chul likes to put the ball on the floor. He's very wiry, tries to get in there and, and try and get those tough shots off when he rises up. But 
if you don't let him get to the spot, then that's where uh, yes. they can have the success with that. And that's going to be massive. And I think they will play small. You look at Drell Martin, Xavier Cooks uh, for the Kings. And again, it, what it really is setting up for is I'm not sure what best of five series I want to see at this point because there's three absolutely elite teams, a couple of teams adding some pieces here that if everyone's healthy, we're going to get high quality basketball with the Wildcats, with the way Bryce is going, the way Vic Law is going. You add where they were probably lacking. Uh, and I had a, a couple of teammates in the past who played against him actually uh, over or watched him play uh, closely when he was overseas. And they said that if he's allowed to, he'll average five steals a game. That's just kind of the defender he is with his strength and being able to do it at his size. So that's an exciting time if you're a Red Army, which is already on. They're probably already the most exciting fans in the world uh, with their stretch of home games. And now you add that and they're going to be tough to beat. Well, uh, we would say if there was one area of the game so far this season that Perth have probably struggled a little bit and Scott Morrison has been harping on it for sure. It's definitely been the defensive side of the ball. Uh, while we're in the process of plugging our work at ESPN this week, Pete, uh, yesterday I did drop the latest version, 3.0, of my top 15 players. Now I'm just going to quickly roll through this and then I'm going to open it up to you to give me all the slander that you yep. feel that you need to do. So I'm just very quickly going to run through the names. Bryce Cotton, one, Jalen Adams, two, Vic Law, Mitch Creek, JLA, Xavier Cooks, Chris Goulding, Jarrell Martin, Dwight Reith, Yanni Wetzel, Robert Franks, Joe Chi at 12, Antonius Cleveland at 13, Daly at 14, Josh Adams at 15. Of course, you, you're probably not going to be able to keep up with that, but you can check out the list uh, at ESPN.com.au. Peter, please tell me, what absolutely disgusted you about this list? Not a whole lot disgusted me, oh, wow. I must say. Uh, Xavier Cooks is at six is probably yeah. Yeah. It's a little low for me. This, uh, this man, as I said, he's had a phenomenal year, and I'll give it to you that he's been hurt for the last couple of games. Maybe that's where your head was at. No, it wasn't, but I'll give you an excuse. Hmm. Uh, but again, you look over who, we, who he's trying to jump over. Mitch Creek had a bit of a down patch for a little bit. Uh, he's picked that back up, and he's been by far the best player for the Phoenix this season. Uh, Luala Chul, another one. The only other one that had a question mark for me, and it's been like that for a week, Joe Chi, I'm not sure what whether the teams have kind of figured out the best way. to. He's had a couple of big games uh, as of late, the last couple of weeks, but overall, and just listening to some of the coaches' timeouts where they they want him on the floor, they want to go mm -hmm. at him differently. And I always thought it was okay. They were trying to bring him away from the basket and try and do it on the perimeter. But they're okay to try and go at his body now. That's like he was averaging four blocks a game to start the season. And they've kind of gone away from that. I think he's in his own head as well in terms of foul trouble. They're really struggling uh, on that end. And that's the same with Brandon Ashley when he comes in. And besides that, I'm glad to see Antonio Cleveland in there. I think he's been fantastic all season. Uh, for the Hawks. And again, we, we haven't spoke too much about the Hawks all year. And I think he needs a lot more love. Into, he's, I think he's been their most consistent player by far. If you look at Tyler Harvey, he's been down. Duarte Reed started well, starting to get back to where he's going now. But Antonio Cleveland's been doing it nearly every single game. And he's swung a lot of games with his own play. And I'm glad that he's starting to see all those things pay off because it's helping the Hawks. Pete, I know you're always very big on the fact that, uh, particularly when it comes to Defensive stats, we can't just look at the box score, but Antonius Cleveland, as I was doing my research along the way, the only player in the league averaging more than one block and one steal, which is which is interesting. And I will say, 
that you're right. I think when the, the Hawks were going through this patch where they just couldn't figure it out really on either side of the ball, there was a couple of games there where they probably don't win if Cleveland wasn't on the floor. And Tyler Harvey was probably the big omission from the 15. I had him in the first two versions of this. I just couldn't put him in there. He has had a decent season. He's had moments, but the efficiency hasn't been there. And as far as importance to the Hawks, there's no doubt. I mean, for me, there's no doubt that Dwight Brief is number one, and they probably need to get that man the ball a little bit more. And then and then Antonius Cleveland for the two-way play. It's been a little bit of a weird season for Tyler Harvey. It's It's been a very weird. I think that's the best way to put it. He's, we've shown a couple of times in the last few weeks that, okay, he's looking like his old self, but not, nothing where he can take over a game, win a game on his own hand. That's what we saw last year. He was outstanding, uh, top three MVP candidate, and really just launched onto the NBL scene. I'm not sure whether defense has tried to figure things out. I think a lot of it's got to do with, again, having those different pieces around. They have Duop Breathe, where they're going to throw the ball to a lot. They have Rattan Mays, who's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. And mm-hmm. you can't just have Tyler Harvey spot up. That's just in the Jessup's job. Sam Froling, we know he's going to be out there and just do his thing. So I think it's been a challenge for Tyler Harvey to figure out how can I have some success, but more importantly, how does the team have success with this roster? And a lot of the time when he's been struggling, he's tried to shoot his way out of it and hasn't worked. So yeah, I'm not surprised he's been omitted from your list. Uh, And again, if they really want to make any sort of splash in the last few weeks, I think he's going to have to show some of that consistency in scoring the ball. And again, I will say that these rankings are based on what we've seen just this season. So the, the one player that I did highlight uh, in the intro to the sort of the rankings with was Nathan Sobey. He just hasn't played enough games, so he's out for that reason. Obviously, if he's healthy, you expect he would be on this list. But no doubt, I've got no problems if anyone looks at the top six players and want to shuffle Cooks and JLA and Mitch Creek around. It's it's super tight. They've all had great seasons. And Jalen Adams was the one player that didn't feature in the second version because he wasn't really playing at that time. And then he's gone all the way up to two. We know he's just been out of this world. One other player I wanted to mention from this to get your thoughts. Josh Adams, number 15. Now, uh, look, I'll tell you that when I first sent this through, I said, publish it, I'm done. I had Tajir McCall at number 15. And then I was just thinking to myself, the Jack Jumpers are really, we don't think that they're going to make the postseason, but they're right there for the postseason. And I just couldn't, and I think if anything else, it just sums up what we've seen from the Jack Jumpers this year, what they've been able to get from their role players, uh, the the nature of the roster where everyone has to contribute for them to play well. I put Josh Adams there. I wanted the Jack Jumpers to have some representation because I do think that they deserve recognition for what they've been able to do. Adams has clearly been inconsistent. He's a streaky scorer, but there has been a couple of nights there where he's he's won them games. It's hard to pick, isn't it? Uh, when the Jack Jumpers, their success with the roster and what they've gone about and trying to separate, where's that coming I couldn't from? put because Scott Roth in. I couldn't put Scott Roth well, in. <laughs> but that's what it is, isn't it? It's, it's just their whole team. It's Their yeah. whole team is what gets it done. And I put out my awards thing uh, last week and I had listed uh, some, some top five defensive candidates. I got a couple of messages from, from down in the Apple. I was saying, hey, ah. what, what about you guys? And I said, look, I, you can't pick it because of yeah. the way they do it all together. You don't have that one necessarily standout guy. They've got Matt Kenyon, they've got Sam McDaniel as their main wing lockdown guys. But a lot of that was built around the style of play. After round four, when Scott Rock obviously had these meetings with everybody, they bought into it. And the fact that they managed to still do that without Will Magnate, who would have been that one guy in terms of that standout defensive guy uh, on that end, it, it's been incredible. But yeah, Josh, I'm happy to give him the nod because I was just trying to think of where else you would go for that 15th spot. The only other one that popped into my head 
would have been Shaley just because of what he's done this season. I think he's right. going to be sick man. Yeah. Um, I think he's been enormous, but I've, Josh Adams' numbers are there. I'm glad we're giving a little bit of love to a team that has succeeded everyone's expectations. And I don't care who you are. If you're a Jack Jumpers fan, you know after the first two rounds, this has exceeded your expectations. So you don't have to lie. You can admit that they've been incredible. <laughs> and look forward to a really good end of the season and next year. But unbelievable. Love it all. And still trying to get down there, I'm sure. They've got to send us mm. down there at I know. Come on. Help us out. Get us down to Tassie. And by the way, uh, the only other guy that I would have considered for the 15th spot just because he is a bad, bad man, and that's Hugo Passon for some of the stuff mm. that he's doing in these games here. Uh, probably, uh, like a lot of the breakers, went through a real rough patch through the middle of the season when things looked like the when the wheels looked like they were starting to fall off. They've clearly bounced back and are playing some pretty good basketball. And a lot of that comes with the health of the roster as well. We should acknowledge that. But Passon has no doubt been pretty impressive while we're rolling with scotty roth mm. uh, what do you what do you think of the weekend antonius cleveland scott roth a bit of post-game shenanigans look i saw a lot of comments about it uh, i think Derek rocker shane hill had a few words to say about it let's let's let's, let's be clear here. this man was mocking scott roth he did it right in front of him and he did the exact same celebration that scott roth did to the crowd now look i, I don't mind that because it was a big win for the hawks they hadn't got a win over Tassie in the last few, and that's what they really needed, and they did it on the home floor, and that's what the excitement was there. Something had to be said, and nobody will know, because the to blow off the handshake as well, that Scott Roth was having his hand out, that's obviously what got Scott Roth a bit annoyed as well. So, look, I, I think it's good for the game. I think it's there's nothing, there's no punches thrown. I'm sure there's some words said that probably shouldn't have been said, but you want teams to show emotion, and... Could Antonis Cleveland have done it another way? Maybe. I don't mind the idea of him mocking in terms of doing the celebration. Yes, it was right in front of him. But if you're going to do that, at least turn around, just shake the man's hand and say, look, you did this. You're showing your emotion. I'm getting my emotion out. I love that we've just beaten you. But shake the man's hand for a really good contest because that's what everybody wants to see. As soon as you brush it off, that's when people feel a little bit disrespected. And in the end, I'm glad that nothing really came of it. I'm sure they went, they went back for more. Score Ross not going to back down so if you're the if you're a Jack Thomas fan, you're turning around saying, I love this from our head coach. And if you're a Hawks fan, you're turning around saying that coach is nuts. So that's what we're going to get out of it. I'm not sure where you stood on it, but that was my take. I just think it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, we've seen a few moments. And again, we've spoken about it. Like perhaps, uh, I don't think this was one of those incidents, but with the Mitch Creek at the throwdown incident, uh, Daly and all those guys, uh, Mason Peatling. But perhaps, you know, when things spill into the crowd, the league is not two into that but this was nothing and by the way shout out to gorge just the the man of uh being able to keep his cool just say scotty come on sorry about uh my my guy over there he's carrying on right now let's just let's just walk off together let's walk off the court together and scott if scott roth had been able to hold back and not explode when the guy when cleveland was doing that right in his mouth then you know he would have been a better man than, than most out there so i thought it was all totally fine uh, I didn't think too much of it. I was enjoying it, uh, certainly watching here in Melbourne. I will, I will say too that anyone who's got the chance to talk to Antonio Cleveland, this man, he's a great person and his family's around and the way he tries to play the game. So Absolutely. there has to have been a couple little words here or there said that obviously got both teams. The handshake, I think, holds the key to what really happened. And you're right. Uh, it is what it is. And again, um, I think everybody would love to see you want to see emotion from your teams. You want to see them teams competing. You don't want to see teams roll over and do whatever. But at the same time, we still got to respect the opposition. 
Well, you played at this level, Pete, but it's always been my uh, strong opinion that handshake lines are dumb anyway. I mean, if you don't want to shake hands, if you don't want to shake hands with the player, just walk off. I have I have a tweet that says I'm going to bring it up again because it's going to happen in semi-final game one, especially in final series of the NBA. What are we doing? There's, what are we doing? And I say it every year, and I get a couple people saying, uh, "No, it's all about sportsmanship." In especially in a series, there is no need to. And you see in the NBA, certain people might know each other. If they want to have a handshake or something, that's fine or whatever. That's during the season. I'm the same as you. You can throw it out. A lot of people shake hands on the floor, but. In a series, especially let's look at a game five. We went, we played Adelaide in 2018. Went to game five. They were one of the best grand final series of all time. There was a lot of back and forth. There was a couple of fights. There was headbutts. There was all that, and we still shook hands after every game. And in our minds, we're thinking we don't want to see you. We're seeing you yeah. guys in two days over in your floor. Get stuffed. And they're saying yes. the same thing. There is just nothing really good can have if you're going to have two emotional teams in a final series. Bookmark this because that tweet is coming back out as soon as the final starts. All right. Speaking of not much good happening, uh, the Phoenix, we already touched on them. They've lost four in a row at this point. And coming into this stretch of games where they had Illawarra twice, they had Melbourne twice, and uh, Sydney was the other team. Mm. So I, I remember saying that, look, if Southeast Melbourne can get out of this, splitting these four games, they're going to be in excellent shape. That absolutely would have been the case, but they haven't been able to. They lost all four. You mentioned Joe Chi uh, a little bit earlier and... What is going wrong with the Phoenix? I mean, for me, I'm looking at this team and their biggest problem is that they don't know whether they want to go big or small, but they also, it's been taken out of their hands whether they want to go big or small because Brandon Ashley is an absolute foul merchant right now. This man is averaging eight and a half fouls per 36 minutes. Joe Chi, <laughs> we saw in the game, we saw in the game a couple of nights ago, he was on the bench in the fourth quarter. Dane Pino was out there in the clutch moments and, and people ask, well, why was that the case? Well, Joe Chi was on the floor for 19 minutes and the Phoenix were minus 16 in those 19 minutes because the Kings were torching them when Joe Chi was on the floor. So they got big problems. Huge. And again, this is something that I've said about the Phoenix all season. Now, the defensive end is something that's been a problem since they came into the league. They can yes. score the ball. They're one of the best they have been in the last two years leading the league in scoring, but they give up the most points as well. Tough to win a lot of games doing that, and especially the most important games. And then you talk role clarity is where, where are we trying to play? What are we trying to do? Brandon Ashley had one game, and it was against the 36ers about three weeks ago when Joe Chi picked up two early fouls, where he picked up one foul for the game. But what it did was he changed the way that Brandon Ashley tries to play. He was really reserved. He wasn't chasing the boards as hard. He wasn't trying to defend as hard. And that's not what you're trying to get out of him. He is just the type of player who's going to go out there and make those energy plays. I was talking to the Phoenix uh, before the game against Sydney and they said they're trying to have that conversation with, we just don't want the dumb fouls. If you're going to get the foul or two here or there contesting for no board, that's fine. But it's the ones that you've got no chance of getting. It's all those ones where you're just hacking down trying to get a steal that they can't afford to have. And Joe Chi, you're right. I think he's, he's had massive success this season. He's put up some big double-doubles. But a lot of his issues now defensively, I think, is coming on the guards' lack of defense on the perimeter. Now... That's something that Simon Mitchell's talked about. They've tried mm -hmm. to fix different parts. They fixed the bigs for a little bit, then they fixed the guards, then they, now the defensive transition has been poor. When their guards aren't getting up and in, they're giving other opposition guards, Jalen Adams, chances to just turn the corner and they have the advantage where if you're Joe Chi, you're thinking, what do I do here? Am I trying to go out there and stop Jalen Adams? Am I staying back? They're going to throw a lob. And he gets caught in two minds and then he gets fouls. And that's a lot of the time where he gets taken out of where he's successful. The guards have to be better. And no Ryan Brockhoff is going to really hurt 
for the next couple of weeks. So for the Phoenix, it's always been about the defensive end. Cam Glidden, I think he can tap into being a defender. And from all of what I've heard from the Phoenix, their one thing is Isaiah Leafa can't guard everybody. So somebody else has to step up. Munford, Adnam, I know they can score the ball. But when it comes down to it, we know defense wins championships. And you've got to lock in and you've got to help not only your team and yourself, you've got to help the big fellas. They can't do it all on their own. Yeah, one of the things that came out of Southeast Melbourne at the start of the season when uh, signing Xavier Munford was that they thought that they were going to be benefit from having a bit of extra size at the guard position. We know they've had small point important point guards in years gone by. And Kyle Adam, obviously not the biggest guy uh, of all time there, which is why when you look at the minutes per game, Isaiah Liafa is actually averaging more minutes than Xavier Mumford, which you probably wouldn't have predicted at the start of the season, but it outlines uh, some of the problems that they're having there. The good news for the Phoenix is the next three games, they've got Cairns, Adelaide, Cairns all on the road, but it's an opportunity to get back on track. But just projecting ahead, uh, I think that the Phoenix need Joe Chi on the floor down the stretch if they're going to win these series. Now, the problem is against Perth, that doesn't work. Against Sydney, mm-hmm. that doesn't work. Against Melbourne, it does. We've seen Joe Chi have some impactful games against United. We've seen Joe Chi have impactful games against Illawarra as well. Not at all times, but it, the matchup's a little bit better there. But uh, as we said, the league is trending uh, small and uh, it's, it's tough for a huge man like Joe Chi mm. right now, particularly on a team that's struggling defensively. What about Adelaide? You wrote about Adelaide in the 3x3 three three column. What's going on? I'm not sure, to be honest. I think it's just a lot of unhappy guys uh, rolling around. They know their season's been in trouble for a little bit and they're starting to play like it. Big win over Cairns, but we know Cairns have been really disappointing as well. Uh, but that game was where it really stood out to me that some of the body language from the players just wasn't good enough. And in terms of when you want, you're up by 20-odd in the fourth quarter, you've got young guys on, having an impact, scoring the ball, and certain guys, I'm not going to go naming names, you can go back and watch the clip, just aren't, almost aren't happy. That that's happening and whether you're playing well or you're not playing well you're up by 20 you've been losing a lot of games this season best thing you can do in that time is show your fans that everybody's getting around this young talent who are trying to have an opportunity they want to play hard that was what's really disappointing they followed up by laying that egg uh, against melbourne united which was always going to be a tough ask let's be honest and mitch mccarran's one that i've spoke to a lot you know ex-teammate of mine played for him under 19s for australia so i've known him for a long time and his struggles this year have been clear in terms of he doesn't have Chris Golding around him, doesn't have uh, Dave Barlow, all these other veterans. So he's been trying to lead a new culture, a new roster, and also trying to haggle with, okay, we need to score the ball. I need to be a bit more of an offensive threat. And that's tough for anyone to juggle. I think he's admitted that he struggled with that. And we saw that when he starts to turn it up a little bit with Tad Dufamai at the one, I don't know whether I spoke to you about it, but I've been saying that for a couple of weeks. It works. You can do it. I think Mitch McCarron is definitely, he can play the point, but I like the fact that he starts off the ball, sees the ball at a different part of the offense. And when Tad Dufmine goes out, then bring the ball in Mitch McCarron's hands and let him do that. CJ Bruno will let him play 39 and a half minutes. That's what you need to do. Big money guy, so why not? But that's the thing that I'd like to see just down the stretch and then just try and find something to take out of the rest of the season. And whether that's the happy, the joy side. Kai Soto has been a shining light over the last few weeks and, why Why aren't we getting more excited about his development? If Banks in a three, we should all be up and about going crazy. So that's my kind of sentiments of, as an Adelaide boy watching the 36 years. 
Well, there's a couple of teams that we probably aren't going to get to a lot on this podcast, but I, I know we definitely will next time we get together to chat and there's going to be some stuff coming up on the website over the next few weeks. And Adelaide's one of those teams. Brisbane is another one of those teams who I'm really, really fascinated to see what they do in the offseason. Clearly, it's been disappointing uh, years for both of these teams. We haven't mentioned Brisbane a lot, but I think if you had said at the start of the season that at best, Nathan Sobey was going to play half the games, you would have predicted that they're going to miss the playoffs and that's going to be the case there. Uh, and as for Tassie, I mean, a, again, we've, we've spoke about them a little bit, but uh, they've been incredibly impressive. I don't think that they're going to make the postseason, but I'm also fascinated to see what they do over the off season uh, and see what they can get, whether it, whether it is imports or local guys, but they've got a bunch of free agents as well. That's uh, we'll see what happens with the Jack jumpers one to finish off here. Mm-hmm. The coaches, the coaches challenge. Now, I was working on Sunday. I was in at the studio yep, and uh, watching the Cairns Taipans and Brisbane Bullets game yep. that went for seven and a half days. And <laughs> it, was, it was honestly very, very difficult to watch. And the third quarter in particular, I went back today and timed it. The third quarter went for approximately 35 minutes. There was a review for an unsportsmanlike foul. There was a, a further three coaches reviews from Adam Ford and I was just sitting there thinking we can't keep letting this happen if you look and they they talk about the 48 minute game and they say why it's a 40 minute game because uh, the broadcast and all this kind of stuff the broadcast for this game went for two and a half hours and it was Mm. because of the reviews and yes there was a lot of fouls in this game but in my opinion we we can't have games like this particularly with teams that are struggling a little bit if you want people to tune into the games and you want people to stay tuned into the games then you can't have stoppages every three seconds to watch a replay of a 50-50 call for five minutes straight while I figure out what, what the correct decision is. So I like the coach's challenge. I don't want to get rid of the coach's challenge at all, but I think that we need to go down the path of the NBA. One coach's challenge, if you get it correct, you keep your timeout. If not, you lose the timeout and let's keep the game moving because I think the idea of the coach's challenge is either very late game situation on a call that you think that is wrong and can change the game in the last minute or two in a close game, or it's just an absolute straight-up howler. A lot of these coaches' challenge that we've seen are in the first quarter, in the first half, and they're random 50-50 plays that, for me, as long as I've watched basketball, you obviously played for a long time, Pete, 50-50 calls are going to happen. We don't need to see 170 replays of a 50-50 call. I know people will say they want the right call, so they will be dead against what I'm saying. Just my opinion. I'm with you in terms of this is what happened last year when the coach challenge got brought into the NBL Cup. It was just one. And I, I like that for that exact reason. That's what, that's what you're going to see. Okay, then coaches have to be smart with it. Dan Schmier threw out a coach challenge in the first minute a few weeks ago. <laughs> and it, that's not having any impact on the game. And it wasn't even an hour. That was Finn Delaney being worried about that he didn't touch him. <laughs> the problem is when you talk about that, if you've only got one, if you've got the opportunity to keep them, then you, you're more inclined to use them for those 50-50 ones, those ones that potentially uh, you're not sure about. But I don't think coaches have realized this year that you've got to think about when you're challenging it, what is going to actually be looked at because the replay center breaks it down frame by frame. They zoom in. If your hand is on a man's wrist and it yes. can be the softest ever, but if they can pause it and get a screenshot, you've touched his wrist, that is a foul. Now, a lot of them we've seen this season of, a lot of them are fouls we don't want to see called. But as you said, they're going to be called. There's going to be bad calls every now and then. If it is called, if it's not called, great. Let's play on. But if it is called and you try and challenge it, the replay center can't go, that's not a foul yes. we want called. So 
because it is it's a foul and that's the annoying part about it so that's where i'm with you i think one and done because coaches will be smarter with it i think you're just a little bit salty because they're cut into your show which is fair enough i would be too i'm not on a show though i'm not good enough to be on a show but we'll get there eventually hopefully 10 um, minutes of air time 10 minutes of air time cut down from 30 minutes very disappointing <laughs> but yeah i'm with you i again i've seen some coaches have been really good with it uh, i've seen some coaches use it and it's swung momentum because it's been a huge play or a, a yeah. big opportunity for them to get it right and you're right it's uh, umpires are always going to have at least five that average calls in a weekend that is inevitable and we see in the cricket imagine if the cricket had if you got to keep it if you've got one or you've got three or whatever you've got to have a set number i that's what i would like to see change it's the beauty of basketball it's a free-flowing game keep the game moving we've got timeouts we understand that's going to be a part of the game but other than that let's keep it moving we don't want these reviews and we don't want 35 40 minute quarters no one wants to be sitting at home uh watching that uh, and i should say by the way shout out to adam four because he just kept on getting the challenges right so i mean I, I can't i can't criticize our guy up there in cairns for getting the challenges right it's not his fault let's, change, let's just change the rule let's change the rule i think that's it pete if you've got anything else to add anything else on your mind heading into round 17. i'm just really excited to see the business end of the season i'm trying to think of with the way it's worked out i know the hawks might look like they're getting back together but if we can get a semi-final series the ones a throwdown series there'll be a bit of emotion there we know what happened last year and then a bryce versus jalen that'd be the cherry on top because this is going to be an incredible end to a season uh, i'm looking forward to, to calling it to seeing what's going on and it, it's it's too close to call i think the, the three top teams uh are going to be really tough to beat and I think those games might be going for longer than the two hours that you want, but not for a coach challenge reason. I just think that there might be a few extra quarters. Grand final? That uh, I'm down for that. We can have four hour games if it's a grand final series. I'm willing to uh, I'm willing to, to let that occur. And I will say, I want Perth and Sydney in the grand final because look, I, I think that's the only stage for Bryce and Jalen Adams, Vic Law and Xavier Cooks, Jarrell Martin, and maybe John Brown. Let's go. It sounds like. I'm with you. It does sound very nice, but us being here in Melbourne, we can't go see that. We're gonna. Have to get, we're gonna. Have to <laughs> That's be, true. You, have to, you can bring your jet down. If you can get your ass to send his mm. jet just to get up between games, then we'll go from there. All right, we'll see what happens. We'll be back for another podcast on the NBL before the playoffs roll around. Anyway, we've still got a, a fair bit of action to go. Most teams have got uh, eight, nine uh, games left in the regular season there. But like I said right off the top, make sure you keep up to date with ESPN.com.au for all the info. You'll see Pete on the broadcast. You'll see me on the jump playing my role on there among the, the dynamic duo, Gazy and Copes as well. So it's uh, it's always a lot of fun. We've got plenty going on at ESPN, so make sure you check that out. And keep an eye on the Ball in the Real World podcast feed as well. We've got some more stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks. And until then, take it easy. We'll catch you guys next time.